from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Well, hello and welcome to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by Tom Campbell, our chief creative officer. That's right. And James St. James and Blake Jacobs. And you know what? This is our 250th episode. Unbelievable. Can I interrupt? For that occasion, I'm going to do something I haven't done before. I'm going to put on a new hat. Okay. I love that. Oh, my God. Um, I am just, I'm gobsmacked by that. It feels like yesterday. Do you remember the first episode? In a runaway success, James. (laughs) We were in the basement of World of Wonder, but we were like, in the stacks, right? We were back. No, actually, the first episode, we were off in one of those little side rooms to the side we were doing like practice runs. Oh. Remember the one, the the conference rooms, right? Oh. Oh. I love that you have trouble remembering the word conference room because it's been so long since you've been in the office. <laughs> I just never remember having practice runs. I oh, we, we had two or three practice runs, I think. I thought we were still practicing. <laughs> we are. Every week. 10, 9, 8, <laughs> 6, 4. Okay, that's what we do every week. We count down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, that is a quick thing I want to say. Congratulations, congratulations, Macaulay Culkin and Brenda Song on the birth of their beautiful baby boy, Dakota. Very happy for them. It's very, it's, it's really wonderful. I'm so happy for Macaulay, who is a grown man now, isn't he? It's very strange. With child, yeah. With child, yeah. yeah. 40, 40 years old, I think. Always a child star, though. Always a genius. Well, and a little pop trivia. Um, Brenda Song used to date Trey Cyrus, Miley's brother. I did not know. Amazing. All right. Um, what have we got? What's going on this week? Uh, <laughs> number 10 fenton oh thank you yes <laughs> it's okay this is just a rehearsal it's not <laughs> number 10 colton underwood came out on good morning america wednesday morning to robin roberts in one of the most canned rehearsed things hold on james i want you to have your moment because i'm you know i want to be listen I, we've talked about this in different for, formations before, and I want you to go for it. You know, Andy Cohen, our radio boss, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, have, have reached out to him, to, you know, and supported him. Um, simultaneously to him coming out, he was the bachelor. He was like a suitor than he was the bachelor. He was the virgin he was an bachelor. NFL star. He was an NFL star before yeah. the bachelor as well. And he's so. 29 and he's coming out. And, you know, you come out when you come out, but it was such a canned. Uh, emotional coming out with Robin Roberts who held his hand and asked, basically asked him all the questions he forgot to say himself. And then it's released hours later, if minutes later. What a surprise. That he has a Netflix series that's in production where he's going to learn how to be gay with his fluffer, excuse me, his gay guide, Gus Kenworthy. Who we love Gus Kenworthy. We're friends with Gus Kenworthy. But why does the whole thing make me want to go ick? Okay, I'm going to be the bitch here. I, I knew it was going to be up to me to be the bitch because you were going to try and soft pedal this. But the fact of the matter is, is, you know, God bless Colton Underwood. Like you said, you know, when you come out is when you come out. 
but the manipulative, cynical aspect that you know that Netflix and Good Morning America were in cahoots together deciding who got to say it first and who was going to you get an hour before we get to mention it, blah, blah, blah. And the whole idea that he is doing this I'm new to being gay thing with Gus Kenworthy and this the idea that Gus Kenworthy is is a gay guy. If Gus Kenworthy can name three Liza Minnelli movies that aren't cabaret, I'll let him be a gay guide. But if he can't, then he he is a gay be himself, and it just the whole thing makes me so mad. What would uh if we were the gay guides? If we were the ghosts of Christmas gays of past, present, and future, what would we, how would we school Colton? What would we do? Well, you'd start with Auntie Mame and then Sunset Boulevard, then whatever happened to Baby Jane, and then you'd take him to the baths, and then you'd take him (laughs) to Vaseline Alley. I I do think if this Netflix show was to be good, it would, James St. James would be his gay guide, and it would be a whole different show, and I would watch that. Tell him stories about the anvil and the mine shaft. But the other thing, during the interview, which again, it was just point by point perfect, but just so canned. And you know what? Also, why ABC is doing the interview and why Robin Roberts is helping him through it is he also is a big part. He was part of three seasons of The Bachelor, so they are protecting their franchise. They're making sure that the women don't feel alienated that they were falling in love with. But the only part that makes me pause, James, is. Was there ever a time when you dated girls and didn't tell them you were gay because you weren't ready and you were, did you ever have that moment? I can answer that question. Yes. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> no there, was, there, there, there was a girl that I was maybe kind of, sort of, maybe thinking about being bisexual, maybe sort of, kind of. And um, we still made out and went out and everything. But my whole problem with it stems from I, I had a po- I had a, um, a tweet today in which I said this is peak caucasity. It is mayonnaise leading mayonnaise into a mayonnaise covered world. And it is the fact that it's, you know, I mean, we're in this period now post last summer when yes. Hollywood was supposed to get the message that we need diversity and to have these pretty white bland boys, you know, uh, it doesn't, it's not needed. It's not something that anybody is asking for. Nobody is clamoring to see pretty white boys come out of the closet. You know, I, I think it's time to tell other LGBTQ stories. And I, I've never been a fan of The Bachelor. I know it's hugely successful. There are people I know and love who watch it. And, you know, it taps into something. But I find it so false to begin with. So the fact that this guy, all of his brooding and jumping fences, and again, I don't really follow the story, but all of the drama that was created by him in his love, it could have been because he was in the closet. But I just think it's it just speaks to the... Well, of the let's be honest. None of these relationships ever last longer than two months anyway. So, oh, I took one look at him and I thought, well, of course he's gay. How did anyone yes. ever think otherwise? Which, well, he was a virgin till he was 29. And I'm sorry that you can cut that out if you want to. Well, yeah, That's I a know. big flag right there. <laughs> Vir- a virgin like Bill Clinton didn't have sex with that woman. Didn't inhale or whatever. <laughs> he did butt things, but it wasn't really sex. Exactly. There you go. Uh-huh. All right. Well, good luck to Colton Underwood. I think you got a great <laughs> last name for being for being a gay, an a gay, and uh, we probably won't be watching. But you know, good luck with it. 
<laughs> All right, let's move on to number nine. What made you go wow, James? Number nine. I watched Thunder Force on Netflix, uh, the superhero movie starring Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. Now, and, and because our runner our building manager downstairs absolutely loved it but all the boomers on npr absolutely hated it and said quit making movies with your husband melissa mccarthy no 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 i'll tell you what i i love melissa mccarthy movies i think they're absolutely hysterical i think a bad melissa mccarthy movie is better than any good television on tv today i am blissfully i could sink into them and watch any one of them this one is especially interesting because you know it's a superhero movie and it stars two middle-aged plus-sized women. One of them is a middle-aged plus-sized woman of color, which you do not see. At no point are they ever not as kick-ass or badass as a young male superhero. They are in their little spandex costumes. And it never at one point is that a source of a joke or anything. It's like, of course, the minute... Um, uh, Jason Baseman sees Melissa McCarthy. He's smitten. She's in her, you know, costume. It's it's really refreshing to see all of that, and it's really nice. They're very weird. These movies. It Melissa sometimes it seems like she's just riffing, like she's just making things up as she goes along. And I don't know if that's the sign of a good actress or if she really is riffing. But at one point in time, you'll Fenton, she breaks into this. Nell, this Jodie Foster Nell impersonation, like a tie in the wind. Hey, wind. A tie in the wind. And hey, nobody has done a Nell joke in 25 years. I don't know who she thought her audience is. I do a Nell joke about <laughs> once a month, just so you know. I feel like we quoted that all the time, James. We, <laughs> we do, but we aren't exactly 20-something years old anymore. <laughs> but no the other me. thing is, there's Jason Bateman plays a supervillain who has um crab claws for hands that's like his super villain that sounds good that's really hot and at one point melissa mccarthy and jason bateman are falling into bed and they're about to have hot sex and she just brings out some but a stick of butter and starts buttering his arms and sprinkling garlic salt on it and he's like what are you doing she's like i like my crab claws and it's like just this like never is like just these weird little things anyway i just loved it i thought it was fantastic i thought they were both really great that was our cannibal Easter egg for this episode. <laughs> yeah. So it's, a, it's a parody of action movies. I just want to make sure I'm following. Okay. It is. Well, no, but actually they 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 take it very seriously. I mean, um, she becomes she becomes super strong. Her friend Octavia Spencer, um, they're the world is full of, of super villains, and so there's never been a superhero before, and they are the first superhero team. And um there is one scene where they're they have a purple Lamborghini that's their car and they're struggling to get in and out. And I could have done without that. Cause it's sort of like a weight joke. But other than that, it's refreshing just well, to see these two women at the, at the peak of their powers. You know, I would watch it. If just to say Bobby Cannavale, it, oh, Bobby Cannavale, you know, um, he is, he's so gorgeous. A friend of mine, a very good friend of mine who doesn't speak to me anymore, but she used to be a friend of mine, um, mar is was married to him and has a child by him. And I just, mm. I think she stopped speaking to me when she started dating him because she knew I would be all over him. <laughs> well, um, I just saw Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer on the Graham Norton show, the episode with Michelle Visage. So really, yeah. Oh, see, it all comes together. Mm. A lovely full circle moment. Thunder Force is streaming on Netflix. 
Ken Nine. Number eight. <laughs> Number eight. Went on a road trip with the kids. Wow. So, Elliot, no, I'm excited no. to hear about this. Got in a car and drove. Um, it was Billy's idea. And we drove to Scottsdale. Did you take a Tesla? No, no, took a oh. regular old car because we're worried about it. wouldn't find any. That's <laughs> what I was wondering. Scottsdale is isn't that near where the grandparents are? Or no, it's in Arizona. Okay, it's yeah, in, it's in Phoenix. I mean, it's part of yeah. Phoenix. And then the next day, we drove to the Meteor Crater, and it's near Winslow. The Meteor Crater, fifty thousand years ago, a meteor just streaked out of the sky and landed. And created this enormous crater. It's like three quarters of a mile around. It's something like 60 stories deep. You can't actually go into it. You just sort of look at it. and But it's just massive. And, and it's completely flat. And, you know, 150 foot high walls around this. I mean, it's an extraordinary moment of like, oh, my God. You now, know what? what that happened? same that same night, James St. James was at the pyramid and felt nothing. Just so you know. <laughs> but what happened to the Earth upon impact? Was was there uh, some sort of cat- catastrophic event? Well, thereby hangs the time. No, it was it was huge. Well, it's fifty thousand years ago, so you know, yeah, even yeah. even you went around them, but it like it immediately vaporized, like it was an iron meteor, um, and it immediately vaporized and sent out stuff everywhere. Um, it, then we went on from the media to well, actually, before I go off from the media, um, it actually wasn't really noticed until 1871. What? And this guy uh, Franklin, who was a scout for General Custer, he found it. And you know what they called it? Huh. They called it Franklin's Hole. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit on point. Mm-hmm. I thought it might have been discovered when that one guy sang that song about standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. Well, that's the, the, the famous Eagles song, of course. And there's a statue on the corner of Winslow. There is, and I saw it. But um, why am I telling a story about a meteor? It was just such an epic moment. And then the founder of Standard Oil, he was convinced the meteor would be underneath, you know, that it you know, impacted what he didn't realize. And he spent... 26 years searching for this meteor. <laughs> well, the thing vaporized, and so there was no meteor to be found. Well, now, we, I, now we know. Now you know. And then from there, we went on to the Painted Desert. And You've never oh, been there. Tell me about that. Oh, my God. It's, I mean, that, whether it's this meteor crater, the Painted Desert, or the Petrified Forest, or the Grand Canyon, all of which points we hit. Wait, I thought the petrified forest was the was the painted forest. The painted desert. Well, oh. look, the the painted desert is is sort of there, and the petrified forest is next to it. Um, and this Why is, is it petrified. My mm-hmm. only knowledge of the petrified forest is from Beavis and Butthead over America. They stopped there. <laughs> well, right. I mean, this is Badlands, but of course, in the late Triassic era, which is like 250 million years ago this is and we're talking about the dawn of the dinosaurs we're talking before jurassic park in fact i have a little bit of petrified forest right here they let you walk out with that or are no you can buy them at the gift shop you can buy them at the gift shop and i do you know how a petrified forest gets formed that's right well i'll just tell you the the tree falls down and it gets waterlogged and it absorbs the wood absorbs sand and water and then i think it gets crushed under sediment and eventually the silt the sand 
crystallizes into quartz. Isn't that fascinating? And it's colored by the different minerals. It, I, I tell you, it is so trippy. It is over, you are like, walking you know, around the petrified forest and there are just petrified trees just lying on the ground, huge trunks. And they're 250 effing million years old. It's like, it's sort of mind-blowing, the whole thing. I mean, the Grand Canyon is itself mind-blowing. You can't you really go to the Grand Canyon, right? Yes. And yeah. you can't really photograph it because it's so massive. And it, does, it doesn't work in photographs, does it? You think you're getting a great photo, but it, it yeah. You do not. And then last stop was Sedona, which is so beautiful. It's these towering mesas or mazes of red sort of crumbly rock. It, did, you hear the, did you hear the Sedona hum? I, I, uh, what is that? It's a hum that only uh, one-eighth of the people can hear, and uh, nobody knows what it is. Did you see the Blue McDonald's? Yes, saw the Blue yeah. McDonald's. The yeah. only Blue McDonald's in the world. Did you right, see the right. bear on the, on the park bench? Did not see the bear on the park bench, but saw the church, the beautiful church oh, that's that built. Church oh, my God. It's, yes. The whole thing, I have to say, I can't believe I've never been to these places. And it's mind blowing, and it's really six hours away by car. I mean, it's, anyone. It's, it's a short drive. You can do it in, by the time we get to lunch. And it's just amazing that you can just walk around these places. It's, 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 it's a sort of audio visual experience that is quite unlike anything else. It's not a Netflix show. It's now, like, did Elliot, it, you, Elliot and Nolan were there, right? Yes, yes. Did Elliot enjoy it all, or did, was it more of a Nolan trip? Elliot did enjoy it. He he loved running around in the painted desert. I mean, just mm. loved it. Just because you could just run on these flat plains of sort of deserty thing, and and if you took a photograph of the painted desert, it was so lurid. The colors were so intense. He just loved it. He loved that. He loved like being outside and playing around. I um I went with my mom about fifteen years ago. We went to the Grand Canyon and then Sedona. And that whole, just when you enter into Sedona, you just feel that calmness, don't you? You can feel just like it's the energy. Probably a vortex there, right? Yes, yes. The, uh, yeah, of energy vortex. Yeah. You come down this hairpin road and these massive structures just rise up. It's, mm. it's sort of, have you been, Tom? I have. I went, I used to take an art class and we took an artist retreat there. So we painted and drew and sat and looked. Yes. And just the, the red, hills the sand you know around you they are so full of character i mean your, your mind you know when you look at clouds and you see things everything in sedona and in that area makes your mind create i don't know visions and ghosts and people yes. and things it's, it's spirits it's beautiful yes really amazing all right uh, have you seen the new trailer for rupaul's drag race down under i did um, it's yeah. out today it's yeah. out it's out and it's coming May the 1st. So may the 1st be with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take a break. Um, you got a question, Blake? I do have a question. So she was poised to take over the world until she was murdered two weeks before her 24th birthday. And today she would have been 50 years old. Who is she? Blimey. What? Another probing historical question from Blake. We'll have the answer right after the break here on The Wow Report. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James St. James. And Blake, you had a question. I did. 
So this lady was poised to take over the world until she was murdered 24, until she was murdered two weeks before her 24th birthday in 1995. That rules out Cleopatra, doesn't it? Yes. Today is <laughs> her birthday and she would be 50. Who is it? I'm always embarrassed about how little I know about world issues and world things. I believe she was a woman. I think she was a Harvard graduate, but she was a native of Pakistan. No, not her. India? No. I'm a, I'm, no. I, uh, Mary Queen of Scots? Pop star. Pop star. Selena. Aaliyah. Selena. Selena Quintanilla. Oh, when you said take over the world, I thought you meant take over the world. Right. Yeah, like literally, literal. yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's, that's, Selena is beloved by so many, so... And she would be 50 years old today. Oh, same my God. As, that's insane. Same as J-Lo. Wow. wow. J-Lo ain't 50 years old. She's 55 <laughs> if she's a day. That's right. Same as Madonna, in fact. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Angeline. <laughs> <laughs> we are counting down the top 10 things this week that made us go wow. And we've reached number seven, Tom. Number seven. You know, award seasons come and go. I just want to state here and now that the best performance of the year has happened already. All the awards go to Bowen Yang for his the Oscar, the Tony, the Emmy for his portrayal <laughs> of the uh, iceberg that sunk the Titanic on Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live last weekend. If you haven't seen the sketch, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to recreate it for you. It is maddeningly funny he play he, talk about being organically gay he he personifies <laughs> the, the 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 it's a he he's queenie as can be never talks about being gay but he is there and it's such it's it's so rich in so many ways but it's a parody of people that go on tv infamous for one thing who want to downplay it and blame other people and are there to uh, promote something else. He uh, is there to really promote his hyper EDM new pop disco Fantasia <laughs> album called Music. But uh, Colin, what's his face, keeps asking him about that night and people dying in the water. Her, and he, the, the, the quote, the quote from it is, "They came to me and they hit me." Yeah, they came, <laughs> oh, you want to talk about it? We'll talk about it. Yes, they came to where I live and work, and they hit me. It's. It's so twisted. Nobody it, blames the water. <laughs> yes. He goes, the water, they drowned, didn't they? But uh, at one point, he's like, I'm sorry that these 30 or 40 people died. He goes, 1,500. Whatever. <laughs> it was just genius. This is very zeitgeist. Which is my best feature. <laughs> yes. It's so what, stupid. Where it's do you so think brilliant. it came from? Like, what would trigger being the iceberg? I wonder if he's been sitting on it for a while. Like, this is pretty evergreen. If there's nothing happening, and we can use this. <laughs> it does sound like something that, like the groundlings or something, would do. It, it, yeah. it, I feel, but or it sounds like he was just sitting around, like smoking pot with his friends. It was like, oh my god, I need to be the iceberg. He's <laughs> been a standout since he joined the show, but this week for some reason, because and and I love Saturday Night Live and rooted it last year, and I got to see it. But it, you know, and they've been doing it during a pandemic. God bless them. But sometimes it can still feel a little formulaic. And while this fit into the formula, it was just a genius, bonkers. And super gay character in on a show that hasn't always had that representation. So Bowen Yang, 
Congratulations, the Oscar, the Tony, the Emmy, the Nobel Peace Prize. It really caught fire. I mean, like, right? It, what, it's so it, it's just everywhere. It's like I haven't actually seen the sketch, but I've seen like stills, and I'm like, oh, I got to check that. It's got a viral thing well, happening. It's just, yeah. it's just the, the joy that he had while he was doing, it. and Colin just clearly they were having so much fun. And it, like you, you're right. Sometimes it feels for me like I always think that um, Weekend Update has like the freshest stuff on the show. Yeah. Usually. They're, they that's where they, everyone gets to be experimental and just play with characters. I can't believe he's still just a featured player. You'd think after someone's become kind of a household name that they'd be like on Next season, now. I guarantee he's... Yeah. I'm looking forward to Iceberg, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, Lauren Michaels, of green like that. It's going to happen. It's going to be on it the awesome. It's going to be a musical too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to number six. Number six. Number six. I watched the six-hour Ken Burns documentary on Hemingway on PBS. You did too. I'm glad because we have a lot to bounce off here. The thing about it's a very deep dive into a very complicated man. It goes all of his writing, his whole childhood, every every women that he ever slept with, his depression, his mental health issues, his alcoholism, his suicide. I mean, we get we run the gamut of his life. Part one was my favorite because it's his it's his it's his youth. And he was such a handsome, handsome, handsome man. Is it great? What? Is it three parts? It's three parts, yes. Yeah. So the first part is is his is he's a young man and he's just by God the handsomest man on the planet. You understand why every woman was throwing himself at him. Um, the other part about that is in his childhood, his mother was a wackadoo, and she took his sister and him and gave them both the same um page boy haircut, and she would dress the sister up as a boy and him up as a girl. And she did that all through their childhood. And later on in other parts, you hear how he liked his women androgynous. And you have to think like, is there a connection here? And he would sometimes, and one wife said that in bed, he would just stop and say, okay, now I'm the girl and my name is Patricia and you're the boy and your name is Bob. This is in the Ken Burns book. In the documentary, yes. And you, they don't really say what happens to Patricia and Bob after that, who does what to who. But you've got to think that it all comes back to that wackadoodle mom. It's just, it's sort of weird. Um, Part two is a little bit more of a literary circle jerk where everybody is ooing and aahing over those short declarative sentences that he wrote that were so revolutionary. And you think that, yeah. And I'll just say the, the way that this is a Ken Burns documentary and as a Ken Burns documentary, it goes pretty fast. I have yeah. to say it felt like it was very full, but just the way that they visualize those sentences. As he's writing them. Yes. It was quite, it was it was a masterpiece and bringing words to life. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, no, I, because you know at the time it was in the time of like Edith Wharton and Henry James and Thomas Hart and all these very verbose writers of the early twentieth century and late nineteenth century. And he was just like this flash of lightning who came along, and it was all about being simple and short and you know it, it easy enough for a grade school reader to understand. You know, what I mean, it was all about that. And every writer since then owes their debt to Ernest Hemingway. But, and yet how wildly artistic the combination of those sentences were. Like he wrote sentence by sentence. Like he spent like an hour on a sentence and then the next sentence, and then the next sentence. But they'd be like eight word sentences that when they all came together were this like 
poem almost anyway keep going there's that famous um he wrote the one one sentence story and it was um uh baby shoes for sale never worn and like the whole country like started crying because you know like she's selling her shoes because she had a stillborn child and you know he just he put so much into those four words you know i mean like it's just um anyway then part three is where everyone online started having a fit and coming for ken burns because it starts to seem like a hit job on him um we the, part three is all about his his breaking down and his his alcoholism and his mental health issues and depression and he becomes more and more abusive to the women in his life and his kids and the one kid if you find out is a drag queen and he's very uh, horrible to his to that to that son and everything but what they don't mention all through it you you hear about his concussions he keeps getting concussions during bullfights and during the war and this twenty concussions and all. Ken Burns never makes that causal connection that the c- concussions probably led to the depression and the in the paranoia and the mental health issues, but he never comes out and says that. Which it's never declared, but they do mark every time he has a concussion. They talk they about do it, mention right? it, but then they they fail to pull it together at the end that oh. this is the cause of everything. And the other thing that really pissed people off is you have all this stuff with. Him in Ketchum, Idaho, when he's living in Idaho, and he's getting paranoid, and he thinks the FBI is watching him, and he's at a bar, and he thinks the FBI is filming him, and he has to get dragged out of the bar, and all this stuff. Well, Ken Burns never mentions the fact that the FBI were watching him, by God, and they had been watching him since he was in Cuba, when he was part of the Cuban Revolution. Since, for for the next 10 years, he was constantly under surveillance, his phones was under surveillance, and Ken never mentions that, and it just ends up making... Ernest looked like he's just this sort of wackadoodle, uh, you know, paranoid nut. I didn't know that. I have a you question. Know. James, is the FBI watching you right now? Well, there are some clicks on my phone that I think are very disturbing, but I'm not allowed to say it because I think they might be listening right now. The well, elevator in your closet. Living to the day when your, your brilliantly epigrammatic sentences are celebrated in a multi-part <laughs> documentary by Ken Burns. I mean, I have to say, why Hemingway? That's the thing that sort of, I, I guess it's great. What? I see great affection from you two for Hemingway, but I just sort of think, eh. what? I, I mean, literally, he changed the way people write and think. And there is not one person after Hemingway. What that, about Scott, Scott Fitzgerald? What about Scott uh, Fitzgerald? Was, that, was, that, was a silly little playboy nitwit twat who just happened to stumble upon a couple parties that he was able to write about. But other than that, and that was all Zelda who wrote it that he copied from Zelda. So what are you saying, F. Scott? And they were all peers. That whole period in Hemingway's story, I didn't. I just fell upon it, and I watched every single minute of it. It's really fascinating. Yeah. I didn't know the stuff you had mentioned, James, so thank you for that. But I think it's streaming on PBS if you want to catch up. But, but you know, and also, you know, he was also one of those sort of like uh, characters who lived, uh, you know, every, you know, he with the bullfighting and he was yeah. a larger than life character. He was always in the middle of every war yes. that happened. Like he Madonna. I mean, what about D.H. Lawrence? I'm just not, not buying this idea that he's the sort of turning point of literature. No, well, he is there because okay. even his contemporaries were like James Joyce and Thomas Mann who were doing these obscure things. And he, he was he was all about this lightning bolt of clarity, which was sort of he was cop. It was from Gertrude Stein who taught him that what Picasso and, and was doing, you know, to art is what he needed to be doing with literature and to be able to show you know, every side of the ish, of the of the sentence from, you know, like the, the same way you see every side of, of the woman's face on a Picasso, you know, at the same time. And I, so 
Yes. I'm gonna say I called my brother and sister and said you need to watch this. It really it was all it's compellingly done. I recommend it highly. Yeah. I am gonna watch it. All right. Uh number five. Number five. Spent a lot of time in the car recently going on this road trip. And a lot of time in the car means it's books on tape. And Billy was listening to Life Isn't Everything, which is about Mike Nichols, mm. the uh director. And it's a sort of oral history by 150 of his closest friends. And this was the first thing that got me. I mean, talk about ooing and ahhing. I, who has 150 close friends to start with? <laughs> but every single one of them is in this book. And every single one of them is mega massively famous. There are no ordinary people in Mike Nichols' life ever, period. Everyone he knew was famous, even down, of course, to his last wife, Diane Sawyer. But it's just every person of the 20th century, you know, Meryl Streep, Harold Pinter, um, they're all there. Just Elaine May, of, yes. Elaine May just ooing and ahhing over Mike Nichols. Nora Ephron. Say, yes, I mean, just you name it. Uh, Billy Crystal. Um, like, uh, Jane Fonda, all, you know, yes. Robert Redford, all of those, yeah, all of the stars. Lisa left out Lopez. Yes, <laughs> yes, Britney Spears. And they're just going, no, oh, my Lillian Gish. <laughs> Colin Underwood. <laughs> Gus Kenworthy. And, and they were like, he's so talented. And of course, you know, I hadn't, I didn't realize, well, because his first film was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Liz Taylor and Richard Button. I think it's kind of a nasty film, but okay. Then of course we that's violence. I, I will I will fight you on that. Okay. Well because we have so, uh, Hemingway and now this and then, <laughs> then of course he did the graduate, which was sort of uh who called it someone called it I, I think it was Tom Hanks said it was um Citizen Kane of the disaffected generation or something. Okay, yep. yeah, sure. Uh right. catch twenty-two, Annie, spam a lot. Uh, Carnal Knowledge, Silkwood, Working oh, wow. Girl, Working, working Girl, girl. Birdcage, Postcards from the Edge, uh, Angels in America. In fact, he was a that was a seminal point for HBO, I believe, right? When right. Mike Nichols, the great theater director and the great movie director, and he was both equally, yes. went and worked for HBO at a time when you didn't do that sort of thing. You didn't, you know, it was television. He also collaborated with Whoopi Goldberg at the very beginning of her career. And kind of discovered her, her, right? He yeah. kind of, yeah. Um, Dustin Hoffman, Meryl Street, Natalie Portman. I, it's like, wait, were the Richard Avedon? He was friends with Richard Avedon. It's like there's no uh-huh. one he wasn't friends with who wasn't famous. I felt well, exhausted listening to it, and then I got sort of cross. I was like, why do famous people only know each other? What is wrong with them that they don't have any interest? And they almost is like they live like hot house plants in a sort of celebrity greenhouse, just to tell little bon mots about each other. I realized this wasn't the best part of me coming out. I was just a little bitter. James has the answer. To be fair, I have a feeling that that is the mythology that happens after you die or the mythology that happens after 20 years. And I have another feeling that if they were to do in 25 years after you die, they would do the, the world of wonder story that they are going to do nothing but Monica Lewinsky and Macaulay Culkin and stuff. And it's going to look like you do nothing but hang out with Gus Kensworthy and Ronan Farrow. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, I mean that that's your whole life in that. And that and they, they're going to ignore the fact that it's, you know, like, some of the lesser yeah. people, they they go. Your biographers tend to put in only bold faced names. What's your perspective, Tom? 
just Mike Nichols is a unique character of the 20th century and has collaborated with some of the best talent. I mean, it's the golden age of theater and it's, and it's, it's an interesting time in theater. And he was at the apex. He was one of the golden boys and, and ma- makers of it. There's Neil Simon. There's so many. And I also feel like New York at one time was that bird. You know what I'm saying? You and know, probably everybody knew everybody. Yeah. In like Fran Lee says, everybody knew each other, right? Yeah. It was just a few yes. people in a room. I remember yeah. that a little bit from the 80s when everybody was mixing more than they do now. Yeah, that's true. But we all hated each other, really, even though we pretended to like each other, right? Same yeah. <laughs> today, that's right. <laughs> Elaine May, like who was his sort of partner in crime early on, she actually said that, that, that I love this quote. She said, he knows you can't really be liked or loved if you're perfect. You have to have just enough flaws. And he does. Just the right perfect flaws to be absolutely endearing. So even his flaws are like praise. I was just like, I can't listen to this anymore. Well, that's what Truman Capote said about Babe Paley. He said uh, she was perfect. Her only flaw was that she was perfect or something like that. I, I can't, uh, you know. Yeah. We had a, I'm not going to say the name and I won't reveal it, but we had a, a video conference with a world famous A-list actress today who just happened in talking to us about her life said, Mike Nichols once said to me when he was directing me in something, he said, when in doubt as an actor, get lost in each other's eyes. <laughs> and, I just, and it was about a point about masks and that you have, she goes, I realized in the, in the COVID time that you have to see the whole face actually, but you know, so, so pulling down masks, but, but you know, he said things that affected yes. people that, that stick with them, that guided them. And, and that's, that's absolutely right. I, I so wanted to go off on a tangent on that in that meeting because it was a meeting of, of delightful, hilarious tangents. But um, he also said in terms of g- giving gu- guidance to actors about how to do a scene, he just said, bring your day. He's like, don't act it. Just be it. Sort of just bring your day. Don't try to perform it. You know, and he, sometimes when an actor would do a really good performance, he'd say, OK, that was great. Now just do it again. As you, he was very sort of. Um, <clears throat> well, were there any? I couldn't, you know, the way actors love to talk about acting and how yeah, they yeah. dig deep, and my, it was like, for God's sakes, <laughs> it, <laughs> is craft. Craft. it is a craft. It is a craft. I hate actors. I, 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 <laughs> I was, I went to acting school at, at NYU, and after six months, I said, I hate all of you. I can't That's be around right. this anymore. <laughs> um, but were there any scandals with him? Was there anybody who was, did he ever do anything wrong or was he just, was his whole mm-hmm. life just perfect? No, he managed to deal with Liz Taylor and, and Richard Burton, who were the both but sort of together impossible actors on a just set. Tornado, he, drunken he, tornadoes. He subdued them. And if someone was an asshole, he dealt with them. And uh, he dealt with, um, was it Michelle Pfeiffer in Working Girl? Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith. See, I'm just so terrible. I, I, not only do I resent celebrities, I don't even know their names. <laughs> um, that was a movie. That was a pivotal movie for her, and she was in the hands of Mike Nichols. I mean, it, it does. Pay. But she was also very difficult, apparently, and um, he really, you know, dealt with her. Um, yeah. He just sounds absolutely idyllic and lovely and talented, and probably was. And rest in perfection, Mike Nichols. Um. Okay, let's take a break. Uh, Drag Race España is coming, I have to tell you. Um, Well, I can't tell you how soon it's coming. It's coming. Coming soon. And you can get your first look at the set and the judges on set on the Wow Report. Nice. Marvelous. Thank you, Blake. Well, I have... 
I have a question. I had another question, but I'm throwing it out. Wow. <laughs> this may be easy, but what do Hemingway and Roseanne Barr have in common? They both married Tom Arnold. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's wrong. Close. Hemingway and Roseanne Barr. We'll okay. have the answer for you right after the break on the Wow Report here on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and Jane St. James and Blake. What was the question? Um, James talked about Hemingway, which is streaming on PBS. Um, I asked, what do Hemingway and Roseanne Barr have in common? Wait, uh, they both yeah. like loose meat sandwiches. Uh, who doesn't? <laughs> I think it has something to do with Idaho. What'd you call me? <laughs> Idaho. Fenton? I, no, I just need to know what a loose meat sandwich is. <laughs> what is that? This, this, Roseanne Barr opened a loose meat sandwich. It's a really big deal in Iowa. That's what everybody eats there. It's like Illinois. Lanford, she, Illinois. Get it right. Well, she's from Iowa. Is she? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, Hemingway's granddaughter smooched Roseanne oh, on the big yeah, lesbian kiss. Yeah. Yes. Mariel Hemingway. Oh, so gorgeous. Yes. Small world, eh? <laughs> Number four. I just want to give a little bit of love to the end of season 13 of RuPaul's Drag Race. It, it really came because I don't know if you've been noticing, but it's been going on for about 47 episodes. It is the grand finale. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. It's the longest season for. in history, right? It is the longest season. It did do, I think, the most episodes. Um, but, but, you know, and people love you know, hold on. Can, I, can we just address that really quickly? Because the rumor online is that you got paid extra for episodes. And that's why you kept getting you kept stretching it out and stretching it out because you got more millions of dollars. You, Tom, uh, personally. I personally. Yes, I have. And I have all the millions of dollars in a <laughs> tin in the freezer of my house just in case anyone's looking. No, I mean, we did get a large order because the show's successful. Um uh, we have a grand finale coming up. Oh, if you're if you're listening to this in time on uh, April 23rd is the grand finale. It is we are last year we had to do a remote because of the uh, COVID of it all. This year we're not back to normal, but we're back to sickening. I saw on the line from the script, <laughs> um, and we brought back the four finalists. And they perform everything on an amazing stage without an audience. We have a remote audience, kind of like a drive-in audience. So that's oh. great. And the that, week before tonight, if you're listening on Friday, there is the uh, Drag Race Reunited. And we're doing it differently this year. We're doing it kind of inspired by last year's finale. Each of the nine eliminated queens are doing their own, picked a song or wrote a song and are doing their own homemade music video, which is such a great, fun way. It worked out so great last year and it worked out great this year. It's just a window into their weird, wacky souls, whether they're dance videos or high concept I really enjoyed that last year when we got to when they were yeah. in their apartments making their own videos. I thought that was really fun. And there was also a, a feeling, you know, not just because of this year, but, you know, social media can go so hard and so deep and so unrelentless that we think here, and I know this is controversial because, you know, Andy kind of invented, Andy Cohen kind of invented the housewife reunion that we've all been modeling. But I think in the drag race world, we're beyond that. We're post reunion. Like, why? bring up all the controversies that are spouted online and misrepresented. Why underline people's 
frailties or mistakes or thing, you know, they're under pressure, their cameras are on them, the good, the bad, the ugly is going to show. And we are doing our extra special best with both the reunion and next week's grand finale to celebrate our queens and all they do. I, I do think it's interesting that this year, um, the four last content- contestants, it, it, they're all, I mean, they're of such, they're all spectacular. They're all so wonderful and lovable and amazing. And I think that I, I haven't seen as much of the vitriol and the, the eh, you know, the, a lot of that because everybody is just like any one of them could win. And we're yes. sort of fine with that. I, and, I, and that's how Mick, I, feel. I, mean, I don't have a clear favorite. Got Mick, Candy Muse, Rose, and Simone. Four incredible. Each top. one of them could bring something to the crown that, that yes. we haven't had before. And each one of them is so lovable. And as much as people complain about the long season, we've also had the luxury of getting to know these queens and fall in love with them. And it's ding, ding, it's ding. Crazy. Yeah, I think they, I think it helped. Yeah. Okay. And you had the pork chop loading dock, <laughs> which I hope will be repeated. There might be a pork chop cameo. I'm not saying. <laughs> all right so let's move on to number oh well that's rupaul's drag race reunited the reunion as tonight okay eight uh seven central on vh1 in the u.s and of course on wow presents plus uh excluding us uk canada and down under but in all other territories of the world so 3.99 price of a latte less you get so much more that's that's the condensed version of the plug. <laughs> and that's the right, show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Just a few words here and there. Uh, let's move on to number three. Number three. Number three. This is going to be short because it's. I'm still triggered by it. Um, it's this new sitcom on TBS called Chad that stars SNL alumna. Uh, Nassim Pedrad, okay? And Nassim Pedrad, gorgeous, fabulous, 30-something-year-old woman who plays a 14-year-old Iranian-American boy who is this nerdy little boy who wants to be one of the cool kids. And it is called a cringe comedy, sort of in the in the, the vein of like Pen15, which we talked about, which is yeah. sort of the same thing with adults playing children, you know, kids. Um, but this is so upsetting to watch. And the cringe is just, he is so upsetting. And it's just, she milks every awkward moment of this, chi- of this pubescent boy's life. And it, I literally, I could get through one and a half episodes. I had to turn it off halfway because I was like, stop it. I can't. No, no, no. It, and it's not because I was like relating. It's just she does such an amazing job of creating this nerdy little awful character that you just you want to throttle. But you also want to just hug and say, stop trying so hard. Wow. It it's struck very a chord strange. with you, James. What? It struck a chord with you. It did. You know, I mean, like cringe comedy is just it's hard to do anyway because it's so awkward. They say that Veep was like one of the the first of the big cringe comedies, and I, I was thought that. the comeback, the Valerie, the, the yes, yes. That was yes. cringe comedy, which I, I, trouble, I had trouble I with. Pause. I would have to pause, come back, and be like, just like I, I don't know. And then you'd go back, you'd be like, do a little bit more. <laughs> that sort of, but this takes this to that whole new level. It is really upsetting. Well, that's had on Tuesdays, 10.30 p.m. on TBS. Um, number two. Number two. 
driving in the car across the Badlands. And what do we hear but Taylor Swift? And I think I've heard this record before. <laughs> and But it sounds just a little bit different, but it's sort of Uncanny Valley. Anyway, it's Taylor Swift has gone and recorded her first album. I mean, she has... What? Does she ever sleep during this pandemic? She's released two <laughs> albums and now she's re-recorded her first album. And I, I, I mean, I know some of the first album, I don't know it that well, but it's such an interesting story because she was very, very cross when her masters was sold to Scooter Braun. Scooter Braun. Something like three billion of the 21st century. And then there's an interesting twist of a story. Um, it was, let me see. That's it. It was Kelly Clarkson who tweeted back in 29, just a thought, you should go and re-record all the songs that you don't own the masters on, exactly how you did them, but put brand new art <clears throat> and some kind of incentive so fans will no longer buy the old versions. I'd buy all of the old versions, just new versions, just to prove a point. That was in 2019. And that's what Taylor's gone and done. And she's going to release, re-record Every single one of her, the six albums that she no longer controls. <clears throat> this is something that artists have done because, you know, when we look for <clears throat> lip sync tracks, will sometimes be offered because the artists want it because they make money on the re records and they don't make on, on things they don't have control of. But I have to say, some come close, but none of the remakes are ever as good as the originals. Tell me the truth. I know there's an army of Taylor Swift fans, none of whom watch our show or listen. Um, but what were, were they as good, or are you not the person to make that? Comment? I'm not the person to make that. Oh, I can tell you that love song. It, it's hard to tell the difference. I mean, it's it's it. Her voice is slightly lower than it was before, love but it's I, she, but the orchestration and everything is really top of the line. It's fantastic. Well, I just want to say I think JoJo was the first to do, or <clears throat> the first I heard of to do this because, like, her first hits, <clears throat> the big hits she doesn't make any money from because Dr. Luke yep. wrote them or something. Uh -huh. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it works for her because it debuted at number one, didn't it? The album and all the, and the, the singles. So yeah. she's, and she made such, she's making millions and millions and millions of dollars. And the great clever twist is that she put on like an extra six tracks that were going to originally be on that original album, but didn't make it. And now she's adding them. So now you have, if you're a fan, you've got a reason to go buy yes, exactly. the original album again. And, Can I just and say, thank God things are finally looking up for Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> that poor dear has had nothing but misery her whole, the last 15 years. <laughs> biggest success in the world <laughs> i love her quote though she said thankfully i left my past in scott's hands but not my future all right. <laughs> yes <laughs> all right but uh, then wait but the coda to this is this um scooter braun just sold uh all his holdings to the um like a korean company for something like 300 billion dollars it'd be well, even better if he had sold it all to kelly clarkson sorry keep going <laughs> Yeah, he sold it for three hundred million, but of course, I just think they must be really the difference pissed between off. million and billion. But that, yeah, I know. But the people who bought it, I think, must be really upset because all those, yeah. um, you know, synchronization. I mean, unless they undercut Taylor and do offer them cheaper, offer the originals cheaper than I don't know. But well, if a flashback really quickly, remember how a furious Paul McCartney was when Michael Jackson bought all the Beatles albums. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is Taylor's oldest time. 
All right, we'll take one more quick break, and then when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week that made us go. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. Wow. Wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report, things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James and Tom and Blake. We've reached number one. Number one. If you had given us time during the commercial, Fenton, we should have all changed into black with hats and veils because we are mourning the closing of the arc light theater specifically in hollywood location the cinerama dome they they it was you know it was kind of i believe the first of its kind in la and in the world where you could reserve your seats which just happens everywhere but you could reserve your seats and how many hours have we all spent it's very it's very la to drive a car that you can't afford and to buy like $18 tickets to see a movie and spend $15 on caramel corn and see celebrities and your best friends and everybody pouring into the arc light. Well, it also, you know, um, it's also was this at the theater. It doesn't have um, trailers. It, it only has three trailers and no commercials. And that yeah. was one of the big, the big draws about it. But I got to say that yesterday when the news broke, or the, I got to say this week when the news broke, um, it, Deadline and Hollywood Reporter and Variety all sort of did it at the same time. And the way Twitter exploded and people, I, I got tears in my eyes the minute I heard it. And I, you can't help but think of all the times that you've been there. And it's not just Cinerama Dome and, and the Arclight. Pacific theaters are closing too. Right. And that's the Grove. And I spend every weekend going to the Grove and going to movies with my sister before the pandemic. Well, it's really the anchor of the Grove, actually. Someone was yeah. saying, you, know, what, what, you will go to the Grove to watch a movie and then you'll eat or shop or whatever. But if mm-hmm. you don't have that anchor of, of going to the Grove for a movie. What, and we lost, we've lost Regency cinemas. I mean, it, it's sad to think that this might be the end of actual cinemas. I heard a conspiracy theory that's all a ploy to get concessions from the landlord so they can negotiate a cheaper rent, which they desperately need to continue in business but i've also heard that netflix was going to swoop in because their theater's right next door and i mean their their offices are right next door and they were going to try and use it i also heard if if we do recover from this pandemic as we recover from this pandemic let's be positive we will be going back to the theater and it maybe is a business ploy but i do going back to artists our emotional reaction i always for me and being an la guy and a gay guy and a single guy like certain restaurants and now i realize the arc light are like are like churches to me. Yeah, it's where you gather. It's where you see each other on Friday nights. It's where the community comes. It's where you took first dates. It's where you would go. You know, to go to celebrate someone's birthday. It's just. It's really funny. I, how- I had one of my sweetest dates ever at the Arc. I, I will never. It was just I and I get choked up thinking about it. I remember some of the, seeing some of the celebrities there. I remember seeing Bette Midler one time and Tony Basil walking in and they were both like four feet tall and holding on to each other like little old ladies. And it was just the cutest thing I'd ever seen. I remember seeing Josh Hutcherson there every weekend. He was always there. I watched uh, Jennifer's body with Katy Perry, right? When she was like coming up. Right. I remember see, I remember seeing, you know, um, Gosh, I've just seen so many stars there over the years. And you always and, and you can't be starstruck because it's Hollywood. And so everyone just sort of sits. Next, I sat next to we all sat next to Robert Downey Jr. When we went to go see Freak Show. Remember, he was there. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah just just, just the, 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 one of the one I, of the punters. 
I've sat next to Jennifer Coolidge in a movie screening there too before. Just fabulous. You know, though, there is this trend where you can rent out the whole theater for you and 20 of your socially distanced friends for like a couple of hundred dollars. I mean, I don't believe in that. Yeah, not- no, because jo- our agent, Jonathan Sweden, accidentally texted me saying, let's go. And he wasn't inviting me. I was like, well, let's go where? What? And he's like, oh, I didn't mean you. <laughs> and, <laughs> anyway, that sounds like an amazing birthday party that you or Randy would throw that we get invited to. So I'm holding on. I'm waiting for you guys to uh, invite You us. get invited to. <laughs> I don't get invited to those anymore. Oh, oh, we haven't had a party. James, we haven't had a party in years. <laughs> well, that's all we got time for today. <laughs> We've exhausted ourselves. Uh, thanks we're, for tuning into the Wow Report. What, Tom? Yeah. No, we're just sad about the arc light. This the being I, melancholy. No, I did. It. I had tears. I really I got very upset about it. And so many people, so many stars. I kept seeing like Elijah Wood, and and you know everybody kept saying like that. You know, Quentin, hurry, Quentin Tarantino, buy this or you well, know. Wasn't there that story about um, Faye Dunaway always going and trading oh, it as like her office? Well, she used to go and she wouldn't, she would never pay. And she'd say, I have an Oscar. And she'd just walk right in. And, and she set up her, so she set up her newspapers all around her and like <laughs> take calls. <laughs> now is the time for me to tell my Faye Dunaway through the stapler at my head story. Yes. We can always add it to the end of the, uh, the, the YouTube show. Yeah, yeah, this is for the YouTube. But I was working at Bookstoop, and she was there, and she was asking about a book, and I couldn't mm-hmm. find it. And she grabbed the, the, the stapler, and she threw it, and it hit me in the head, and I was bleeding, gushing blood. <laughs> and I feel, I feel as a documentarian of your life, James, I need to tie together to people your strange behavior now and the head injury you received from Faye Dunaway at Thank Bookstoop. You. Thank you, Tom Burns. <laughs> and in the book that celebrates your life, uh, you know, Tom Hanks will recite this story. I was there in Book Soup when Fade on Away. <clears throat> what did you do when that happened? Um, I think I went. <gasps> Because I had made this whole big thing about how Faye, when Faye Dunaway walked in and everyone said, I'm not doing dealing with her. I'm not doing it. And I was like, oh, I will, Faye. Oh, Miss Dunaway. Oh, Miss Dunaway. How can I help you? And she wanted me to look for this um, Spanish author. And I think I mispronounced his name. And she called me an idiot. And that's when I realized. <laughs> but, you know, I have to say, politically incorrect as I am, today, as a young person, you could sue her. Oh, yeah, true. And and now you just have a great story and a concussion that's changed your personality. But so what? And maybe it's not too late to sue anyway. Maybe it's too late. <laughs> what is the statute of limitations? <laughs> on a stapler assault. Stapler assaults. <laughs> All, All right, James. Thank you for being the staple of our show. And, <laughs> and you, Tom, too. And Blake. And thanks for tuning in to listen to The Wow Report. You can catch previous episodes on the Sirius Radio app. Or you can watch them on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents, which is absolutely free. Unlike our channel, Wow Presents Plus, but it's only three ninety nine a month. What's that? It's nothing. What's no, that? No, no, no. And the price is going up soon. I've been reliably informed. So. <laughs> All right, same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow. Now, also for our viewers uh, on YouTube, Tom, very quickly, name six Liza Minnelli movies other than Cabaret. Lucky Lady with Burt Reynolds. Arthur 
Sterile Cuckoo. Yes. Um, um, Stepping Out. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, New York, New York. Yes. And um, Sterile Cuckoo, 72, 73, 74. She didn't want Jods. No. No. <laughs> she did do I, I'm Sex in the City 2. Okay, thank you. That's great. And she was also in um, Rent-A-Cop with Burt Reynolds as well. That's good. Yes. I did pretty good. Six is hard. I got five. No, you did very good. Very good. Yes. Um, I hear you. No, I totally hear you. Trust me. It's awful. But when we do, um, I'm so old that when when contestants do, or on audition tapes, whatever drag means, do Liza and I'm like, you're doing an impersonation of Liza. You're not, that's not what Liza would say. You know, it's like, uh-huh. but that's uh, that's the beauty of being our age. What a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. We are petrified. That's what we are. <laughs> petrified. I do just want to go back with, with Gus Kenworthy again. Is that, uh, um, and, and um, uh, not Gus Kenworthy, but um, Colton ha- uh, Underwood. And they were saying, um, Billy Eichner was tweeting that, um, uh, that Colton Underwood was going to get a, a GLAD award before he does. And then someone else said that he, Colton Underwood is going to be hosting before he gets his invitation to it. All this sort of yeah, it's a weird for- accelerated. Did yeah. you see the, the Twitter thing that said he'd, he'd sooner be Underwood than on top of a bachelorette? <laughs> uh, Underwood on top of wood, mm. as long as wood's involved. And, um, yeah, so I forget what you know I what I you know what I did yesterday. I don't know if you were paying attention to my Instagram and Twitter. Were you? But were you all? I was. Um, I apologize. I went to a restaurant. Oh <laughs> yes, I did see that. Yes, my first time in fourteen months out of my apartment. How was Arby's? <laughs> no, I went to the Sunset Tower, and um, you were in my neighborhood. Yes, I was. Yes, and it, I was shaking. As I went in and my teeth were chattering a little bit. I mean, it was cold outside and it was indoor outdoors, but it was still a very weird experience. I have reservations tomorrow at um, Gracias Madre, my first restaurant, because my friend Elena, who's vaccinated, is visiting and her daughter's here. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, I am looking forward to it and I'm petrified. Exactly. I mean, I there was no way I could get out of this, so I had to do it. But at the same time, I kept I was for the for the whole week before I was literally dreading it. Hi, Elliot. Hi, Elliot. Hi, Elliot. Hi, Elliot. Are you glad you went? Are you glad you went now that you've been? I am. I ended. We were, we, we were there for two and a half hours. We just we just chalked for two and a half hours. And were you mask free the entire time? Uh, yes. Yes. No, I wasn't. It was it was indoor, but the the, the out that you know how it is. Yeah, I was, yeah. I've been with you there. The doors um, are open, so you're yeah. Getting yeah, I remember. I, 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 I wear a mask and take it off in between. I don't know. I'll probably just. I mean, I've had vaccine. I mean, I'm well. There, I've so. got there before she did, and she texted me and she said, "Get a drink, and I'll be there in about like ten minutes." And I got the drink, and I would lift the mask up and take it, yes, yes. it back down, and then do that over it. But then after, then I that's what you do on the plane: is you like rip off your mask, you go. <laughs> right. Which is probably incredibly it's ineffective. Gonna get you, it's going to get you in that millisecond. It doesn't matter right. if you know. Right. I just cannot get over the fact that the amount of coronavirus in the world would fit into a Coca Cola can. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's the tininess of the enemy we're dealing with. Have you heard the reports that um, contact surface getting it from contact from surfaces 
is probably yeah. so negligible. Like all of the wiping down and the cleaning we've done, it's real, more about shaking hands and breathing right. in, breathing in the air. But well, you know, it's a good thing because I hadn't cleaned my house in about four years prior to the coronavirus, and then I I managed to get up and do a little cleaning. So yes, yeah. you, you were looking for should I clean my apartment? Mm-hmm. God, give God, me a sign. And then five hundred thousand people later, I'm like, okay. I love the way they call it. What what do they call it? They call it health theater, or is it safety theater? Like performative things. Yes, it's very Protestant ethic. It's you're supposed to look like you're going to heaven, even though it's been predetermined. All the world is a stage. There we Uh, go. All right, I gotta go. I love you all.